Welcome again to the finale of the Game, o Game Over series. Uh, we're very excited about the message today because it's one of the most important things that we can talk about in life, which is what we do with this question of eternity as we come to understand uh, what happens after we die. And if you're like me, you were watching the news yesterday when the airplane uh, crashed into the San Francisco airport and was kind of on fire there at the ramp. And uh, the thing that was going through my mind is I was picturing all of these people inside of the airplane as it was on fire uh, after they kind of crash landed there. And the, the news announcers were saying that it was very dangerous because the airplane could blow up at any time because of the fire. And so they were being very cautious with approaching uh, the airplane and what to do next. And as I watched, I was thinking about these people inside the plane and what was going through their mind. And I am positive that even those people that haven't thought about God in a very long time, at that moment, they were thinking about God. In fact, if we were, uh, if we were able to see the prayers physically, we'd be able to see quite a lot of activity happening from that airplane at that specific moment. And if I were in the airplane, I, thought, I know I would be doing the same thing. I'd be saying, God, whatever I did wrong, I'm really sorry. And uh, I don't know, I know what it takes for me to be here with you, but I, I'm, I want to be okay with you. And whatever was going on in their minds, I'm positive that their businesses, their careers, their finances, their goals, all their belongings they had built at that specific moment were meaningless because they knew that it was quite a good chance that these people might face eternity. The problem is that most of us don't think about that reality until something like that happens to us. When we're faced with a family member who passes away or some kind of uh, tragedy in our own lives, then we have to face, come face to face with death, and it makes us think about the reality of eternity. But if eternity is real, if there's more to life than just what we experience physically, it should shape the everyday course of our lives. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We started this series talking about this place called hell, which is a place that was not designed for human beings, but it's a place where we have been uh, really, we are assigned to in a sense, it's our default destination is what we talked about. It is a place that we go because of the consequence of sin, which is that we, we don't meet the standards of God in terms of our not sinning, right? Everybody commits sins. And so because we are sinful human beings, we deserve this place called hell, though that is not the place that is designed for us or that God wills for us to go to. But there's also this place called heaven, which Tim talked about last week, and he did a fantastic job. It's this place that is beyond our imagination, that it's not quite easy or we're not quite able to fully comprehend. It's a place of no suffering, no pain, a place where brokenness is no longer and where the biggest prize of this place of heaven, Tim talked about, is the very presence of God. That as we enter into heaven, we experience fullness of life. And the little glimpses of life we have on the earth are nothing compared to the full life we will have as we experience heaven. The good news about all of that is that those who believe in Jesus... This is what the scriptures teaches. Those that believe in him and his life, his death, his resurrection, have, those that have built a personal relationship with him get to have this free gift called righteousness, which is the ability to be in right standing before a holy God. Our sins are not looked at, and he kind of just washes away all of the sinfulness of our lives so we're able to go to this place called heaven. Now, 
Heaven is a fantastic place, and there's a lot of worship that goes on there. We talked about that last week. But there is one type of worship that we can only do on the earth that we will not be able to do in this place called heaven. Even the followers of Jesus, we will not be able to exercise this type of obedience in heaven. And that type of worship is the worship that comes to our lives when we jump into the story of God, when we become agents of telling his story to the rest of the world, when we spread the news of Jesus. Because once death hits us, our destination has been already determined. And there's no more chance for us to go back and tell people about our experience, about a, a, some kind of message that has changed our lives. That task is only for this life. So I want to talk to you about this, this uh, passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can open it there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have one, it's okay. It'll be on the screens uh, to our, our left and right. And it's also on your mobile device if you want to open the YouVersion app there. In fact, this is something cool. The YouVersion app reached 100 million users today, the Bible app. So it's quite a phenomenal uh, accomplishment. And the guys from... Uh, the YouVersion app, they're friends of ours, Bobby Grunwald. He's actually going to be here at South Bay uh, uh, speaking at a conference that our entrepreneurship group is organizing called Elio. If you want more information about that, you can look at it at the lobby. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we start that, let me just give you some background on what's happening um, in this story. So this is written by a man named Paul. He is one of the early believers of Jesus, but before he believed in Jesus, he was a persecutor of Christians. So what he would do is he got permission from town officials and from religious leaders to go from town to town and basically drag out of the homes people that followed the way, the ways of Jesus. There was this movement of these Jewish people that had believed that Jesus was the sent one of God, and he was basically killing them, arresting them, beheading them often, or stoning them to death, until Jesus literally came and intersected his life and knocked him off his horse. And at that moment, he had an encounter with Almighty God, and God told him, and Jesus himself told him, that his purpose was going to switch, that he was no longer going to be a Christian killer, but a church builder, that he wouldn't no longer be somebody that lives in the name of hate, but he would propel or, or advance this goal of love in society, that he would no longer just be a destroyer of life, but he would be a giver of life. And Paul became this man who basically was a pioneer for this movement of God in the early first century. Now, he wrote several of these books in the scriptures, including this letter to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a city very similar to where we live in now. They had a lot of uh, immorality, but a lot of people that were consumed with work. And he was trying to give them a kind of an eternal perspective on life. And that's what I want to get out of our text together. So I'm going to read quite a large text, so you might want to follow along with me on the screens as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 10. It goes like this. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we've done in our earthly body. So someday we're going to stand before God and give an account for our lives, is what he's saying. Be because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. But either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all 
people, we also believe that, he, that we all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, listen to this, will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Then he finishes by saying this. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Father, I pray that as we talk about your words, as we unpack it, that you would speak, that your Holy Spirit would do its work in this place. For those that are exploring relationship with you, I pray that you would speak clearly to them, that you would reveal your purpose in their lives. For those that have committed to follow you, Jesus, I pray that you yourself would come and ignite a passion in us for the message that can change the human heart. And I pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So let's get started. I want to talk to you about some of the things that I believe Paul is trying to communicate very clearly to this local church in Corinth, and that I believe God wants to communicate to us in this local church in Silicon Valley. The first thing I want to talk about is this idea that he's appealing to them for. He's saying, you, you need to, you ought to do this, and you, want, you might want to write this down in your notes. The first one is this, to give yourselves to the mission of reconciliation. This word reconciliation is, is kind of a big word, but it basically means to bring back together. It's this idea that we have to bring, be brought back together with our creator, that part of our mission on this earth, in fact, we have to be consumed with this one mission on the earth, which is to bring people into relationship with God. He said that in light of the fact that we're going to be judged in front of our holy God someday, we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord so we work hard to persuade others, he says. In fact, the, mass, the message translation says this. It's no light thing to know that we'll one day stand in that place of judgment. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. Our mission as a church, our mission statement is we exist to urgently lead people to say yes to Jesus and live passionately for him. Now, we exist for that reason because that's the reason the scriptures gave us to live for. That we believe that the human soul can only be filled with God himself. And everything else is just going to leave us empty. And so we're urgent about the mission. And what Paul is saying is that we need to give ourselves to this mission of reconciling people to their creator. He talks about how there's some people in verse 12 who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than a sincere heart before God. And he's basically explaining to them, this is why I might seem a little bit crazy. In fact, he says that, right? If it seems a little bit crazy, it's because we want to give glory to God. He's saying, look, we're not about making a spectacular ministry. We sincerely believe, and we all ought to sincerely come to the same belief, that if eternity is real, that if someday we're going to face our creator and there are two destinations to go to, then, then that means 
that we have to be very serious and sincere about taking this message of reconciliation to the rest of humanity. And I love this little phrase, if it seems a little crazy, it's to bring glory to God. In fact, often we hear this at South Bay, and you might have heard maybe some people say this before, that this church here is a little bit crazy. And we're okay with that because we believe that it's worth it to do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God. So some people come in and they see arcades in the lobby and these themes like Game Over and the loud music and this style of technology that we use, and they think these people are a little bit crazy. Well, the reason why is not because we want to have a spectacular ministry. In fact, we can care less about that. The reason we exist is because we believe there's a world that's crying out for their creator. And until they meet their creator, life is going to be empty. And so we do whatever it takes to reach people far from God. And if it seems a little crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And I I can picture Paul because he was one of these guys, as he started to live for Jesus, all of his buddies began to be against him. In fact, they wanted to kill him now. So they wanted to stone Paul, and they would drag him out of city and put put him in jail. And and all kinds of suffering came his way after he began to obey Jesus. And he was quite extreme. He would get beat up in a town and be dragged out of that town and get right back up and go back into the town that he got beat up at. And he's telling this church, look, if it seems a little bit crazy, this is why I'm doing this. I'm doing it not because I want to have a spectacular type of ministry or want to have a big name. I'm doing it because I authentically believe that there are eternities in stake right here, that our message is that important. But I love verse 14. It says the motive behind it all. Christ's love controls us. It compels us. It is not guilt. It is not this desire to, like, I need to check a box or... I need to do this because I need to earn favor with God. It's not because of religious duty. He just said, look, God's love just compels us. It controls our lives. But not just the fact that he loves. It's the fact that he loves all people. And so you see in verse 15, he says, He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. This idea that Jesus died for everyone changes the game. Because if he only died for you and I in this room, then we're okay. In fact, then we are are just privileged people. We are above the rest. We are people who are, in God's eyes, more important than everybody else. But if we really believe what the Bible teaches, which is the fact that God equally values all people, regardless of where they come from and what kind of language they speak and what kind of background they have, and regardless of anything, if we really believe that, that Jesus on that cross was for every single human being, then this gift we've been handed is not just for us. In fact, as it comes to us, it comes in the form of a responsibility And what Paul is saying is this incredible love that took Jesus to die for all people is now in our hands, and we need to do something with it. If he died for everyone, then it means that we have to live and risk all for this king and his kingdom, which is one of our core values as a church, that we will do whatever it takes to connect people to him. Our interests don't matter anymore at that point. I'll never forget the week that this this became reality in my life, that all of a sudden my interests didn't really matter anymore. I was a junior in high school, and 
I, had, uh, I grew up in the religion of Christianity, but I didn't really know what it meant to follow Jesus. I walked away from uh, some of my beliefs and so forth. And in my junior year of high school, I, came, uh, into, I had an encounter with God, and I came in, uh, into a relationship with Jesus. And I started a, uh, uh, know, knowing what it means to personally know him. And I was actually living in Michigan. That's where I met Pastor Andy, uh, our lead pastor at South Bay. We were a part of the same youth group. I was invited to attend this youth group. And I was kind of brand new to the faith, trying to figure out this whole spiritual journey thing. Like maybe some of you are in the room today and trying to figure out what it means to know Jesus apart from religion. And I was attending this youth group of many, many different types of people. It was an incredible place of love and great environment. And this youth pastor said that they were taking a trip, a mission trip to Brazil which is where I'm from. So he said, hey, will you come with us to Brazil and be our translator during this trip? So I said, sure, I'll go with you. So I I, I was part of this group of people. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing, but all I had to do was just translate. I didn't have to know what to say. I just had to translate what other people were saying. So we got to the city called Belo Horizonte in Brazil, and there was a youth retreat center, and all these students, Brazilian students, would come to this retreat center, a couple hundred of them, and they sit in an audience similar to this, and, and these American teenagers would come and share their stories of how God had changed their lives. And they would read from the scriptures, and they would share these transformational stories of how they went from this to this. And, and I was just a conduit of the information. They would present it with the mic. I'd translate it with the other mic, and these people were being moved and changed. And, and after each of these services, I saw all these people give their lives to Jesus and, and confess their sins and make a commitment to renew their relationship with their parents and their friends and, and take steps of faith forward in their, in their spiritual journey and, and even just live a transparent life. And and come out with addictions and and I saw these lives getting changed and it was through some of my words though the message was not really my message in fact as these teenagers were sharing this message I wasn't even sure if I fully believed the stuff they were talking about but something about the experience was so powerful to me because I was seeing God's power flow through my life to change human souls and at the end of each day I would cry and I would have this this just sense of like, what is going on in this place? And at the end of this entire week of doing this, I was so consumed and filled with God that I, I said to God, God, if this is what it feels like to serve you full time, to be all about this ministry of reconciliation, of helping people find you, I want to do this with my life. I went back and I figured out how to, how to make a career out of it. And for, to me, it meant that I would work in this environment called the church. But you see, the mistake that a lot of people make is they think that, that some people are called to ministry. And that ministry means you work for a local church and you stand on a stage and you do the stuff that we do. But what Paul is saying is just the work of the ministry is really the work of the believers, the followers of Jesus. In fact, some of the people out of this youth group that went, they came out with the same stirring that I had. But they went to start businesses and to start careers and families and to use those environments as ways to reconcile people to their creator. But we all came away with this understanding that, man, life is meant for this. In fact, I could never go back anymore. Nothing else would fulfill me after that experience. Because I knew that for that specific week, every single breath I took was to help people be reconciled to their creator. And the fulfillment that brought me changed me from the inside out. But you see, part of this journey is what I want to highlight as the point number two, and you might want to write this down, is that Paul was prompting them and, and saying to them, move away from a human point of view. Move away from a human point of view. 
verse 16, he says, stop, we stopped evaluating or seeing people from a human point of view. At one time, we even thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how different do we do that now? Like before, we used to see people like, oh, he's got a cool car. She doesn't have a good cool car. He's got a great business. They don't have a great business. He's got a lot of money. They don't have a lot of money. They dress well. They don't, like everything that we see externally, when you look at a person, the first thing that you picture when you look at a person is you start evaluating their lives based on all these exterior factors. And what Paul is saying is, look, we got to move away from that. When you look at a person, you need to see their soul. You don't just look at their external circumstances or appearances. You look straight into the eye and you, you picture the fact that someday they're going to stand before their creator and they're going to give an account for their lives and that specific moment will determine the direction of their eternal destiny. And if we believe in that, it changes the way that we view our lives. Stop, we stopped evaluating people from a human point of view Human standards don't interest us anymore. Human interests don't interest us anymore. We don't care about impressing people anymore. And even Jesus, he said, I used to view him from a human point of view. And I think so many Christians get caught up in this. I did. That Jesus is a, a character in a story. He's an icon on a necklace. He's a sticker on a car. He's a thought in the back of our mind. And until Jesus moves into a different place in our hearts, his power is not activated in us. Religion doesn't save or help anybody by itself. He didn't come to start a religion or so that some people would choose to enter into some religious system. In fact, all those people that thought of it that way from a human perspective didn't like Jesus. He broke all their rules. Jesus was about reconciling people to the Father, his God. And we need to move away from this small Jesus, the good guy in the story, to believing that Jesus is the one that makes things new. In fact, in verse 17, he says, anyone who believes or who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Our old life is gone, a new life has begun. Do you believe that? That Jesus, when he enters a human soul, that he can transform us and bring areas of our life that are dead, whether it's marriages or depression or emotions or dreams and passions, that he can bring them to life. I've seen him do that in my life, in my wife's life, even in my kid's life. I've seen him do that in marriages, in kids and parents and in grandparents. I've seen him do that in so many people's lives when we open ourselves to him. And if we believe that Jesus is that powerful, then this message that we contain is so important. The followers of Jesus should have a completely different perspective of life. We ought to move away from human perspective and look at people for their souls and their destinies, not just their appearance. But number three in all of this is so important. He says you ought to live as an ambassador of the message. And I love that word. He says that God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. It's not just some people. He gave us all this task. That our job on the earth is to represent him like an ambassador represents their country or, or has a message on behalf of somebody else. That we are like ambassadors of this message 
In fact, Paul, I believe, was so transformed by this truth that it led him to say things like this. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it records Paul's statement. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So he didn't say this because he believed that Jesus just assigned it to him. That's not the point of what he's saying. He's saying, I understand that Jesus assigned this to all of us. I'm just saying, I'm going to take personal responsibility for this task. And that's what happened to me my junior year of high school. That's what's happened to several of you. And that's what God calls us to, to come to a point where we say, my life, my interest, everything that I strive for is really worth nothing unless I live it for this one task, to fulfill this one mission that Jesus has given me. Like a lot of people waste their time trying to figure out what their purpose in life is. See, I think we can ask God a lot of things, and he cares about that. We can ask him, who should we marry, and, you know, what kind of shirt should I wear today, and what kind of food should I eat, and where should I live? But the question of purpose, we don't need to ask. He already told us. It's plain black and white in the scriptures that the purpose of the followers of Jesus is to spread the message, is to be ambassadors of his love, is to represent him on the earth. How we do that can differ from person to person, but ultimately, that is the mission that we've been given. See, I like to see it like a cup. Like we're all this cup, and, and we have a hole inside of us. And this hole can only be filled, the Bible says, with the presence of God. And this is the reason why so many people strive to fill this with success and money and temporary pleasures, but they never find true fulfillment. So it keeps growing and growing and growing, this desire for something more. So you grow it into addictions. And and these pursuits lead to a lot of bad things in life because we're trying to fill this God-shaped hole with human types of fulfillment. And what he's saying is we're built this way. We're uniquely designed by God to contain this message, this person of Jesus. And once we are filled with him, that he can use this to transform people around us. In fact, Paul even said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, "Now uh, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like a fragile clay jar containing a great treasure. And then he says this, this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. That we're merely just a clay jar. But in this jar, there's a great treasure. We don't have the power in ourselves, but we are carriers of this power. And this is the power that can change the human soul. In fact, Jesus, he said it this way, that anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from within his heart. One time he met a woman who was at the well who was bringing up water for herself, and he looked at her, and he said, anyone who drinks this water that you have will soon be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give you, that he says that something different will happen, that anyone who drinks this water I give will never be thirsty again, but it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, it doesn't become a, a well inside of us, he doesn't put the lid on it once we are filled. It, says it becomes a, a bubbling spring of water within us that bubbles out of us. And the presence of God is meant to fill us so that it can overflow out of our lives. We are like this little cup. 
biggest mistake that we make, though, is that we think that we need to do this like everybody else does or somebody else that we've seen on TV does it. So there's this word called evangelism that you might have heard on TV or when you grew up in church you hear about, which is this idea of spreading the message. It's an intimidating word, and often it's seen like a, a very ugly task where you come with a Bible over someone's head and say, you need Jesus or you're going to hell, and it's seen as a very bitter thing. And I don't even like that word because of some of the connotations that it brings. But the reality is this, is that Jesus or God redesigned us specifically to carry this message. And just because somebody can carry it like this doesn't mean that we need to carry it the same way. Some people can relate with these people that are simple and they're clean in the sense of this cup. Some of you are more like the to-go cup. And your lifestyle is different, and your style is different, and you prefer hanging out at a coffee shop, and you prefer having these different styles, and you can't relate with the Merlot type of people. Some of you are more the champagne type of people. And you, you enjoy that type of, of person, or God's created you and gifted you with specific leanings and interests and passions. And those are the things that he says, use whatever I've given you. You don't have to say, I'm a blue cup, and I wish I was the green mug. I created you the way that you are so that you can carry my message with the uniqueness of who you are. In fact, I love this cup. This is my daughter's cup. It says Lily on it. It's her name. And she's going to be very upset when she realizes that it's not at home because she wants to drink from it every single day. It's kind of gross. But the thing I love about my daughter, she's seven years old, and she's already starting to understand the fact that God can use her life to impact somebody else's eternity. And Every time we have a big day at South Bay, like next week is a big day for us when we invite all the community to be a part of our services. She goes to her school and she invites all of her friends to come to Bay Kids with her. And I've seen her now, uh, two, two families from her school that started to attend our church because she invited her little friend. And these two families have been impacted by Jesus now because of my seven-year-old daughter. Now, she could have very easily thought, well, this whole thing about reconciliation, Daddy, that's like for the preachers at South Bay Church. But she knew. She's starting to understand that God can use any vessel. In fact, he loves using broken vessels. He just can't use dirty ones. He needs us to come to him and say, I, I want you to, to fill me, to cleanse me. And I'll use your vessel. I will use what you give to me as a conduit of hope to the people around you. That's why I love the way we do life groups at South Bay. We ask people to consider using their interests and their hobbies and their personalities and their talents as ways to create small group environments to help people grow in their spiritual journey, grow in their friendships with others, and grow from being inwardly focused to outwardly focused. And part of that journey for us, in fact, this is might be why, why some of you are here today, is to, to take this challenge to say, what would it look like for me to, maybe you, you say, I, I can't teach the Bible like they do on stage at South Bay, but you can play a DVD or you can start a, a group that's an athletic group. There's people that go hiking together and they use that as a way to build friendships with each other, to talk about God. There are people who do crafts groups and who do uh, adventure groups, who do parenting groups and marriage, marriage topic groups and who do Bible study in depth because that's who they are. But you don't have to be like somebody else to help people encounter God. Ask God, what, you, what have you given me? I love the fact that there is these, these, this group of entrepreneurs at South Bay Church who have come together and they said, our, our passion is business. 
But we want to use our passion to help people connect with God. So they started this Monday night entrepreneurship group that many of you belong to. It's attracted now dozens and dozens and dozens of people that are all in the startup world in Silicon Valley. And they use it as a way to connect people to each other, which and ultimately will lead them to connect to God. They're now planning this conference called Elio that's in our lobby today that is a conference for startup, for entrepreneurs of Silicon Valley. It'll be one of the best conferences in the Silicon Valley that they are organizing for free to benefit, to reach out to people who are far from God. We're not going to come and bring the Bible and say, look what the Bible says, we got, we got you here. The idea is that we use whatever we've been given as a tool, as a conduit for the message of God. And we do it in a relational way, in a loving way, because the love of Jesus controls our lives. Because we believe that the hope of the world is not just politics and government and whatever else. It is the church. We are carriers of the message of Jesus. Now, I know that when we hear a lot of these stories, it's just kind of a story on paper. So what I wanted to do is actually have you hear a real-life story. And I want to ask Tim Suarez to come up uh, to the stage Tim, uh, I've known Tim now for about three years, and he's one of these guys that I've seen uh, been drastically transformed by the power of Jesus and the, pres- and the person of Jesus. And I wanted him to share a little bit of his story of how he uh, came to faith, how, how God has changed his life, and what kind of were the factors that influenced that. Can you share that with us? Hey, guys. Um, so about five years ago, uh, I was really indifferent towards God. I didn't know who he was. I never took any steps to find out. And I also kind of didn't like Christians that much. I thought they were really kind of weird and always trying to baptize me or, like, do some holy stuff. I don't know. Um, you want some holy water? Yeah. <laughs> um, and during that time, I, I used to work for the city. And we were having the citywide event. It was a Halloween event. And for the first time ever, we had a, a church group come and volunteer for us. And I remember just, just hoping that I wouldn't get paired up with the church people. And uh, sure enough, I got paired up with the church people, and for the whole day, I had to spend with them, hanging out with them. Uh, but I ended up meeting this one guy, uh, and he was, he was a lot different than what I initially thought of who the Christians were and what they believed in. And I, I think I ended up talking to him for at least a, a few hours, and we had this really amazing conversation. And he told me what he believed in, and he asked me what I believed in, and he seemed to really, he seemed to really just be sincerely caring about uh, who I was as a person. Um, so it was just a really different experience for me uh, to, to go through and all of that. And uh, I remember uh, after that whole conversation that had ended, um, he invited me to his church. And I said, yeah, I'd go to your church. Uh, two years passed by. I never went to his church. Um, and by that, time, I was, uh, by that time, I was doing really bad in school. And I, I lacked a clear motivation in life. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had no, no will to really do it. And at that moment, I started to, to question if I even had a purpose in life. And if I did have a purpose, then, then what was that purpose? And that, at that time, my brother was going to this new church, and he invited me to go with him, and I ended up going with him. Um, and upon arriving there, one of the first things that I noticed was I saw this guy up on stage talking to everybody, and I just thought to myself, that guy looks so familiar, and I couldn't put a finger on it. And it turns out that that was the same guy that I had met two years ago at my work, where I just not, I rejected his offer to go to church, and he was there signing uh, on stage right in front of me. And it turned out that guy was actually Felipe, <laughs> and that church was South Bay Church. Um, and the first time I went there, uh, Pastor Andy was giving this message, and I so clearly remember it. It was, it was about how God wires us with very specific talents and, and personalities and abilities and, and dreams and passions uh, to fulfill a very specific purpose unique to us and who we are. And I heard this message, and my life was changed. Uh, a few weeks later, I gave my life to Christ. 
Um, and last week, last month, uh, I'm sorry, last year in, uh, in March, I was baptized and I've been living for Christ passionately ever since. It's awesome, man. Now, one of the things I love about Tim's story is that he didn't just stop there. That after he came to faith, he realized that God did build him with skills and talents and, and everything that he had for this one purpose, to help other people find fulfillment in Jesus. And so he began to use some of his gifts for the kingdom as well. And he came and he said, hey, what, what would it look like for me to start a, a Friday night group for college students where I can share my story and help others come to know who God is? And so he started this Friday night small group that became a large group, and he's seen so much fruit come out of it. And then he said, hey, I have this talent of animation and, and graphic design. What would it look like for me to use that for the kingdom? And he's the one that produces these cool videos that you see bef before we watch the services. And if you walk down the Bay Kids hallway, he designed some of the stuff that you see uh, on the walls out there. And just an incredible testimony of how God can use a vessel in whatever way we present it to him. And, and if we come to him and say, I want to be used by you, that he would begin to use our talents, our skills, our time, our resources for the kingdom. So, so thank you for your incredible example, man. It's awesome. You know, it can be as easy as us inviting somebody to join us in the journey of, of going to church and hearing about the message. It can be as simple as us befriending people who are far from God and loving on them and asking for their stories instead of just wanting to tell them our stories. It can be as easy as partnering with somebody that is not quite like you and saying, I, I want to be your friend and I want to share some of what God's done in my life with you. And then asking God to help you discern the steps to take as you help people be reconciled to their creator. It can be as easy as, as funding ministry and as using your talents and your skills or whatever it is. And I want to ask you to consider making a commitment today and and the commitment being, God, will you use my life, my anything, to help people find who you are? And maybe you want to even write down on your connection card today as, as a sign of your commitment. Maybe you say, I'll, 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 I'll figure out how to lead a group that can help people connect with you. Or I'm going to invite this friend to join me in the coming weeks. Or I'm going to start sharing my life with others in a different way or invest in people who are far from God in an intentional way. But here's the point. Politics really is not the answer that will bring healing to the world. Better leaders will not solve the problems that we face today. And more money is not going to fill the hole in the human heart. And government initiatives are not going to fix the brokenness of this world. And nonprofits and Hollywood actors and and all these rich people funding these great initiatives will not solve the problem of the human soul. Because the human heart can only be filled with the presence of Jesus. And if we believe in that, and we say, God, I want my life to speak louder. And I want my efforts to impact bigger. And I want my love to go deeper. Then God can use each one of our lives unique as it is, to bring people back to him. I want to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to pray together. But as we do that, right after we do that, we're going to sing a song that is a commitment song. 
that is related to what we're talking about. And the song goes like this. We are the change that the world is waiting for. We've got a love that the world is desperate for. We will lead and we will take you to the streets. Take this message to the streets. And I want to ask you to consider making this song your prayer. Say, God, I want my life to count, not just in a human perspective, but an eternal perspective. So, Father, we pray together as a faith community and even those here that have not yet experienced you. I pray that they would find great fulfillment in you, Jesus. I pray that we together as followers would commit ourselves to being ambassadors of this powerful message. I pray that we together would take this message urgently to those around us, that we would believe that you can use each one of us, each vessel in this place, each cup in this place as a spring of living water, and that that water would bubble out of us into the streets. Let's sing together.